Hey, hey, everybody, what's going down? February 11th is episode 8. Henry, what's going on, bro? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, nah, man, what's up? How y'all doing, bro? Chilling, man, chilling, man. You know, we're back here with another episode. We were going to do one off the State of the Union, but we just... We realized it wasn't <laughs> yeah, worth it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, man, so let's get into the food for thought. Woo! So the first one on the list, you know, so I had to put this up there because um, this is very, like, something that's... Um... Okay, whatever. Not whatever, but I just could get my words together. I'm sorry. But yeah, this is something that's important to me um, because he was assaulted and then killed um, on my birthday. Trayvon Martin birthday just passed February 15th. Uh, he would have been 23. Uh, Jay-Z kind of did like, not a memorial, but like something to recognize, like, you know what I'm saying, the whole protest um, for him and Miami. So yeah, that's the first one. It's kind of like a happy belated birthday to my man, Shayvon Martin. Yeah, I mean, I think the craziest thing to think about with that is, like, he was our age, like, literally. Like, yeah. I, like I was born in 95. So, like, that's I was I, born in 95, and, and yeah. then his birthday is, like, a couple of days before my 23rd birthday. Uh, so, again, like, him, himself, the whole protest in March, everything surrounding that, like, is associated with what I want to do um, in life. So, I, I kind of, like... I commend the efforts of all the people that continue to fight for him and his cause and uh, similar like police brutality acts. So. Yeah, and I think the craziest thing is that um, you know this happened I think around like 2011 or it was 2000, 2013. 2013, and like I think the craziest thing is like one, um, like of course there were instances where people were killed by the police that were big, but like that one, especially for people in our generation, was like the first big mm-hmm. moment where we were like, wow. Like, this is crazy. Exists, right. And then it's even sadder to say, like, it's like we're still on this trend today. So I think that's just mm-hmm. something to, um, you know, just constantly think about. And, you know, of course, probably more sadly, more moments will still happen. But we have to still keep up uh, that same that same fight. fight. Fight for the cause. There it is. All right. So now um, if you all didn't see it, we'll put it. Uh, we'll put some links in the in the in the bios as always. Um, so Henry, so the Albuquerque Journal in New Mexico, they they apologized for publishing a cartoon uh, that depicted Latino immigrants as criminals. Um, the cartoon displayed a white family being robbed with the man saying, and, and quote, now, honey, I believe that they prefer to be called dreamers or future Democrats. So in context, this comes after President Trump's claim that all um, immigrants of Latino descent are members of organized crime gangs. Such as MS thirteen. So the journal pulled it down quickly, but how like how this was kind of, like it was bad. Like <laughs> I'm just like, bruh. <laughs> like, you know, it's not no comment, it's just like this again promotes like that whole agenda towards like racial propaganda just being okay. Yeah. Um, and that's my problem with it because like let's like if we use this in the same context or level whatever you want to say as these females who were at GW who posted a picture with the like um, banana and they're getting expelled or like students around the country who have done that and been expelled is like these kinds of acts creates in a sense a culture that makes it okay um, right. a lot of people are coming out doing these things and not thinking like 
is this wrong there? Do it and then take it down, issue an apology, and it's like, oh, we move on from it. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think you hit it right on the head. I think it's like, um, action. You're what you put out should have a consequence mm-hmm. in the sense of like, okay, what if the like, okay, like the the paper apologized, but it's like, what if the paper was like, okay, we're not gonna work with that cartoonist anymore exactly. or yeah, the editor yeah, who yeah. or our chief editor in charge of the editor like of the cartoon section we're like we we have gone in separate ways so i right. think like it's like you can always say you're sorry when people tell you you've done wrong mm-hmm. but it's the kind of thing of like wrong will still keep happening unless you put mechanisms in place where it's like where was someone else in like the editorial room who was like Oh no! Like, this, right, like, right, like, oh, right. oh, exactly. oh no! Like, exactly. oh no! Like, like, exactly. there's a non-starter. Like, exactly. Like, so where are those people? And I think that, you know, and I think like almost like how we tried to say it's like you know things will go wrong, but we're always going to keep talking about them unless we put in systems in place where we can learn from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think that sadly, this is probably going to be not one even learn prevent them from happening, happening again. again. Yeah, um, because like you said, it should have been some type of like. Uh, announcement or like consequence to where like it was said that okay we're not gonna work with this t- cartoonist or the editor has been like fired like yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying some some type of consequence that say hey we're not we're this is not an okay act right and we don't and we don't condone, condone actions like yeah. this because you know as long as you can just brush it off it's kind of like we're we're sorry that you were feeling hurt by it right but, but we're gonna we're gonna keep to do what we need to do with Hour right. Um, all right. So to, so to continue <laughs> on the theme of police brutality, um, dang, this is kind of a sad food for thought. <laughs> um, so we have, I had the title of this as Corruption in Baltimore. So a corruption, a federal trial that uh, investigates the Baltimore Police Department. Uh, it reveals major and frequent misconduct by officers. So what the main uh, problem was is that a federal trial revealed that officers of the gun uh, trace task force who were responsible for removing illegal guns um, from Baltimore uh, those officers were actually reselling seized guns and drugs. Um, this comes with the backdrop of Baltimore residents have grown frustrated with the Baltimore Police Department ever since the 2015 Freddie Gray incident mm-hmm. where he was killed in police custody and the six officers who were charged with his death, the four got off and they didn't and no one was prosecuted in the end. Um yeah, so this goes back to what I talked about yeah, last podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but oh no, uh, what's kind of crazy or ironic about this earlier uh, this week around February first, um, I read an article that was closely related to something like this because the uh, police officers were caught having like replica weapons on their persons. Yeah, uh, it was like six of them, and <laughs> ironically, more than three of them were. African American or of the Latino descent, um, but <clears throat> they were caught uh, carrying replica weapons on them just in case or accidentally they shot someone. So basically, the stage of uh, crime scene. Um, so I just kind of find it very ironic, or not even ironic, problematic that Baltimore continues to go through these types of police brutality situations, especially when you had a big like national coverage of the Freddie Gray case and uh, how it was screwed. Um, yeah. And then how um, the attorney... Um, yeah, 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 the the district attorney. Her, my name is skipping her mind. Yeah, I know who she... Yeah. Like her face, her face is, is very vivid. Yeah, um, yeah, she kind of bought it. 
uh, <laughs> as Henry goes to look that up. Um, no, I mean, I think this is important in, in many things because I think that um, on a local level, you can see, like, for Baltimore, this is, like, a real big problem right. like, locally because um, in a lot of reports that were being surfaced, it said that, um, you know, that it, that it wasn't just the, the ends of the Freddie Gray case that was kind of the catalyst. There's, like, a long... Who, who, who was she? Mary Mosby. Yeah, uh, right. So, yeah, her, she, like, kind of started the whole, like, fight or, like, trying to cause some type of um, justice against the Baltimore County Police um, Department. So I kind of commend her for the act, but I don't think a lot of support was uh, around, around her. her. Um, because she got condemned several times nationally for the stuff she was doing or the things she was attempting to do. <laughs> while their whole case is, uh, like, in mitigation. So, yeah, man, it's crazy that they're still experiencing these things and not much is being done. Yeah, because, I mean, I think um, it seems like Baltimore, the internally, Baltimore's trying to, like, they're going to put together a task force. Like, we're going to try to yeah. fight corruption. But I think that it's not only just, like, within the Baltimore Police Department, because they can only say, like, okay, we're going to try to remove these officers and, like, put together, like, a memo or something like that. It's also on federal government right. like that's also on the justice department because it's kind of like how we talked about a previous podcast like the justice department would say like hey in ferguson we're going to do a review of mm-hmm. what you all are doing mm-hmm. or like hey we're going to do a re- or like housing and urban developments like hey we're going to do a review of how you all do your housing policy the justice department would be influential in saying we're going to see how this not only like the now. actions that you all are taking but analyzing the actual like relationship between the citizens of Baltimore and the police department, because I think one thing that got kind of, it got covered in certain instances between like for Ferguson was that it didn't just talk about the biggest thing about Ferguson was that it didn't just talk about the Michael Brown case. The Michael Brown case was kind of like the boiling over of so much stuff that had happened for years in terms of like people in, you know, black and brown communities were being terrorized for decades. And they felt like this constant sense of, you know, like, we just can't do anything. You all are controlling our lives unnecessarily. You all are locking us up unfairly. And then the Michael Brown case exploded it like, this is the last straw. Right. We're done. But people try to act like that was the first instance of and police. What I and think, I think that's um, the biggest, the, that's the biggest thing. That, yeah, like, like in agreement with what you're saying, I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of these stories that come to national, like, I and media, we look at it as this being like the instance. first time or the first instance of people in these communities have been dealing with this for years and years right, on a daily um, basis. On a daily basis, so it's kind of like we do have to look at this as a national issue, especially with the high event that like constantly, constantly coming to like national news or even getting undermined by national news sources um, to where stories aren't reported. I feel like a lot of police departments. Feel like like the Department of Justice should kind of um yeah you should probably start a task force focus on police brutality and how to like kind of recommend these issues and fix them and not kind of push it under the rug and oh they, we're gonna put them on trial but not really indict them and they're not gonna really go to jail or face the consequences that they should like face. Um, because they happen to be police officers, because that again creates a culture or a mindset for people to carry weapons and stage these yeah. scenes to where like they didn't even play out that way. Or you have police officers who are blatantly making or feeling that 
internally that they could go out in the public, go shoot somebody and not be held accountable, accountable for their actions. Uh, so I definitely think this is something the U.S. government should take, not even government, the Department of Justice um, alone should take a, a stance on some and, and create some type of uh, system as to how we're going to move forward and prevent this from continuously happening. Yeah. Um yeah, I can't say it any better. So I'll let you take the next one since you <laughs> since you put this in. <laughs> I mean, it kind of goes along with this because um, you know Kaepernick's whole thing started with uh, off of uh, police brutality. He was doing the whole ten for ten pledge to where he was donating ten thousand dollars, which added up to um, a million dollars mm-hmm. for ten months to nonprofits that were focused on uh, fighting oppression uh, through education or social uh, activism um, and. I would say, like, kudos to all these people who did, like, the 10 for 10 encore. Yeah, um, a lot of people celebrities. did. Uh, like, you had Yard Shahidi, uh, who was, like, the youngest person to yeah. donate 10000 You had Zendaya donate, like, 5000 uh Angela Rye, T.I., Alicia King. So I would just, I just want to commend the ass. It's like an A. Shout out to Bruh uh, for continuing to do the great work of the community. Um, that's really it. Yeah, I mean, I think um, just kind of like like you said, I think we talk about. I mean, this is a quick aside. I think we talk about Kaepernick in the sense of like only just the knee. Mm-hmm. But I think, and like even I had to like develop a different sense of like what he was trying to do because at first, like I would say, like honestly, like my opinion of him has evolved a lot over time. But at first, I was like, I don't really see what he's trying to do. Right. Where he hasn't really had a history of this. I don't know, like if he's doing it for reasons of X or reasons of Y, but I think like when when it actually comes down to it and when like his history is written, we'll actually like see like he put he actually put backing on what he believed in. Not exactly. not in the sense of like just speaking it, but actually like going out. Like if you like look at like what he's doing, he's actually doing he's kind of just things, going right? out there and like throwing not to say throwing his money, but he's giving out basically like <laughs> a lot of his like money that he made. And I think like that's the thing that I think that, that can't get lost. And I think that's why I think kind of why we view him so highly now is that he wasn't just someone who said, I'm standing for this. And and, 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 and like, that's all. That's all. That's really why I I appreciate it so much because, again, in this generation, millennials, we do the whole Twitter protest, this is cool, da da da. And it's for that, that moment. That moment. But he didn't let that moment just stay. He lived it out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's still living it out. He's allowing his words not only to be heard, but to be seen through his yeah. actions. I and mean, and, actions and his pockets. And his pocket. Right. Like, he's giving um, away, so like, $50,000. Like, he's doing the work of the people. I commend him so much. And if you want to talk about people who are standing in the forefront uh, fighting against, like, this systems that are put in place to continue to compromise our success as black people. He he's, in that. he's really on on the forefront, him and a few other people. Um, so I commend it, bro, 100%. Yeah, nah, that's big. I mean, so we'll see what's coming out with him because I know it seems like he's got a lot cooking up in the works, especially because he's getting not only himself but other celebrities. So um, this story I just found funny to me. <laughs> Not funny because that's that's I mean, totally that's totally insensitive. Um, yeah. So this week, you know, we have to include our daily Trump gaffe in there, <laughs> our administration gaffe. So this week, uh, White House Staff Secretary Rob Porter resigned this week after reports he uh, abused his ex-wives, two of them. So basically, um, the White House Chiefs Counsel Don McGahn and the Chiefs of Staff John Kelly 
first became aware of these allegations um, in November 2017 after complications arose from Porter's background check and onboarding process. So basically, if you want to become a member of the White House staff, you got to get an FBI background check. You have to basically fill out this extensive process of here's what you did, here's what you did, and here's the people who know you who are corroborating what you said. So basically, to fill in any gaps of basically so... If you have contacts with certain people who might be able to hold some leverage over you, we don't want you working in the highest office in the government because that puts you and everybody at risk of material or activity. (laughs) Um, So earlier this month, um, reports indicated that Porter became involved um, with the White House uh, Communications Director, Hope Hicks, who helped craft uh, Chief of Staff John Kelly and Press Secretary Sarah Sanders' initial statements praising Porter after the reports Surface. So I think, um, even though I think this 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 whole story is just kind of a mess in terms of like the interpersonal dynamics of the White House, I I put it in there because I think that it that it shines mainly a light on kind of like how we talk about kind of like how we kind of how we tried to break down kind of like the whole sexual assault and the Me Too thing. That's what I was about to uh, Yeah, of like uh, where like we don't really where clearly they knew about it and they were just kind of like eh. Under the, like, exactly, uh, we'll worry that, about it. That's like, exactly yeah. what uh, I was going to kind of bring up a tie to because Me Too is a big topic right now. What's going to happen with it? Who is how these people going to be held accountable, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think it does, it's important that you put it on our document to discuss um, to younger people in yeah. our generation because we have the opportunity to create. Re- to break the trend. Right. Break the trend, recreate a culture, whatever you want to call it, because we are walking into these roles. We're going to be the people who intend to. Who are having those responsibilities. Having those responsibilities. So instead of like re- like living that same type of right. culture, um, allowing those types of situations to go under the rug, we now are faced to deal with this reality. We're yeah. faced to have that conversation, um, create some type of dialogue and figure out how do we move on from those types of cultures. Um, so I definitely think it's uh, important that we're discussing it. Um, I do kind of feel some type of way <clears throat> about them kind of put pushing it under the rug and it's not being uh, that publicized because it makes you question, um, okay, if these people aren't held accountable or we're not talking about this, um, then what about all these people in Hollywood? Should we be allowing these yeah. stories to drag out and these people's names to be torn apart? And however you want to look at that. Uh, and Trump kind of tweeted something about it. No, did he really? Yeah, speaking <laughs> toward due process. Um, okay. And like asking, does that exist uh, anymore? And then Ava, you know, the director. Ava DuVernay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was like, well, you should have been speaking like this in 1989 during. Uh, oh, dang. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> when she, uh, during Central Park 5, and she kind of mentioned. I um, have the receipts, sir. Right. Uh, she kind of mentioned. Um, telling this story, and if she was to make a movie depicting that, I would like I would go see it. Front row, right? <laughs> uh, and it would be a great time for it to come out. Yeah, especially with this Me Too thing, like being I don't want to say a trend, but it is. Yeah, um, that's a big story. Being that Donald Trump is a president who has been accused of sexual assault several times, yeah, this is a story that should be on a big screen, not tomorrow. But like in the future. today, yeah. right? So. No, I mean, I think that that's important. And I think kind of like how we've tried to, um, you know, I think personally, like we've had our issues with trying to talk about the Me Too thing because right. I think as 
men were trying to be understanding and understand kind of like how do we make the change because it's mm-hmm. not on like most people try to say like oh like how did this happen like it's it's a conversation that men need to have like exactly. amongst themselves and I think exactly. we struggle with that but I think that um, that this is also kind of like something that we've also tried to talk about of like yeah this got exposed because it's a high profile office mm-hmm. and like a national role everyone's like already eyes locked in on the Trump administration but like how do we how do we put like kind of like how we always talk about it like how do we actually change the wrong right in the sense of like how how would what would happen if this was like just some random office in like alexandria virginia uh-huh. and then there wasn't any like press right. involved doing right. like extensive right. reporting right. on right. it right. so like we i think we yeah. also have to think about like yeah like we we were exposed to this on a national level but like these instances also happen like in, in, yeah. like in, anyway, in literally right. in our workplace right. they happen like Every day. to our neighbors yeah. so, like how do we how do we develop those systems that happen like internally? And I think that's just something that we need to that we need to think about. And now I'll let you um, I'll let you take this topic because I think we both don't know how to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I think I think it's just kind of like uh, what do you talk about with this? Because it kind of goes into the rest of the investigation. You know the whole FBI memo um, that David Nunes, the House of Intelligence, the leader of the House of Intelligence Committee, um, he composed it. it was, to my understanding, because I really don't understand. It's stupid. It, it's stupid. <laughs> um, but basically, it said that um, the the three page, three and a half page document um, it said to uh, conspire to trick uh, the Federal Intelligence Com- Court into granting um, them a warrant to spy on former uh, Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. Um, and then it goes to talk about like the former British intelligence person, uh, Christopher Steele, who was funded by the Democrats and potentially or possibly uh, Hillary Clinton as well. So it's kind of like what, like what? Yeah, I mean, like to me, the whole thing is clearly like I think the big thing is like, all right, like Trump has clearly gotten to like this guy, Mm -hmm. and like if you want to publish that, that's like a I'm not going to try to make this, like, a huge thing because I feel like, like, this was a story, but, like, the actual impact of it, I think it was, like, the speculation that got everybody, like, ooh, like, what's going to come from right, that's And then you read it and you were like, like oh, uh, okay. Right. Because I think, like, people often get this stuff um, confused with the, like, with the quote-unquote the dossier, which is, like, a like a buzzword, like, that sounds more, like, <laughs> dangerous than it is, but I think, like, people try to crap on the dossier, but I think people don't realize, like, one, some of the stuff that was in there was true, mm-hmm. and it was true enough that the FBI briefed Trump on it, like before he entered the White House. Like, hey, we had this document. It it lines up with some stuff that we already had, <laughs> and also like people get stuff confused with like getting like a FISA warrant. That's the kind of thing where like you have to present your case to like a court of law, right? And you have to get it recertified every ninety days, but you yeah. can't get it. You can't say like, hey. 90 days later, I'm presenting this evidence on Henry. I still had the same evidence. Can I get an extension? The judge would be like, no. If you don't get That's new evidence within that 90 days, I'm not granting you this. So clearly, they got an extended, I think, four times. Yeah. It was so like, it's like they're clearly finding out more stuff. Exactly. So that's what I was like. And then I wanted to figure out the judge name who actually signed off on the Yeah, I think that was like, we're going to know that. Because it's kind of like, I don't want Nick 
had some type of evidence or something. Something, something is bare enough for them to sign. Valid, you know what I'm saying? So it's not made up information. It just didn't make sense to me as to when and how this like memo was put out and why they made it seem so like. With, with like the world was about to play. Like, yeah, like and Donald like, Trump like, was like he was before, and the FBI director wasn't, and it was just it was a lot of conflict because yeah, it was just a lot of conflict, and it made me interested. And once I like read it and understood what it was, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so be on be on lookout for that. Plus, um, for I think this is also equally stupid. Um, Democrats are supposed to release their own memo. Like, okay, yeah, uh, uh, just give up. Just stop. Let it. Let their foolishness be their own fool. I was about to do so. So ignorant. But next topic. <laughs> okay. All right. So now we're gonna move on big to the facts. big facts. Big facts. Uh, uh, all right. So, um, like we said, we were gonna do. We were pr- planning on doing an episode after the State of the Union. Um, one, it was too long, so we would have been there until about damn near one a.m. You hear this noise? I'm asleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I think. Um, First off, to go back off the last podcast, we were both totally wrong on who the Democrat was going to be. Well, not in a we'll large, back. In, in, not in a large. I, sense. I was, but <laughs> you did. We did both agree that it was going to be somebody notable. And I didn't think it was going to be a member, of right? I guess it, I was. I'll say this: I respect it because the last name. I did. I don't really know much about the guy. He's young. He's like thirty-seven. Yeah. Um. So. I think they did it in a sense to conserve themselves, like their image and yeah, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. But they went with the person who the name was respectable. If you Google search him, you can figure out who he was. I mean, every was. candidate. Right, That's right. Point blank. So yeah. they, they kind of took, I don't want to say the conservative approach. They did in a sense. But I will say that the, I think they may have chosen um, to like give us an idea of the Democrats are in a space to where they have to refocus, they have to re-strategize, and they yeah. have to reach out to the younger generation now. Yeah, they have to reach um, out to more women, more people of color, right? All that exactly. So I think he was uh, an okay. Yeah, no, I thought to, to do it because I think kind of like how we talked about, like most times, like the response speeches go like terribly, mm-hmm. or like people like um like. I don't know if you remember this. Like, there was a senator, Marco Rubio, who ran for president, who had like, a little water sit like, where he had a chap lip situation. Mm-hmm. Like, it just doesn't go well. Like, you're behind, like, random statue people who are like, I agree with what he's saying. Like, <laughs> it's just kind of... St- but, like, I think for him, the op- even though the optics were weird, because he was in, like, a chop shop, that didn't make any sense. Yeah, but, like, um, he was in front of a live audience. And, he yeah, was and the way that he did it, it wasn't, like, it wasn't too demanding. It was in a positive, passive sense. It was like, okay, we understand what's going on in the country right now, but we kind of have to like stay focused on what needs to be done. And with going into the up and coming midterm elections and the like 2020 elections, we're going to have to really think about the values of our country. Um, that's what kind of it put me in a sense of because he was definitely sure, like even in the first five seconds. Um, he was kind of like, hi, how's everyone doing? I'm in this city. Uh, it was like Massachusetts. Yeah, Massachusetts. Um, this city was built by immigrants. So yeah. they were definitely sure to highlight key facts and stuff like that just to kind of like kind of get you in the mind frame. Okay, we're in a sense that we're fighting immigration right now with yeah. the DACA uh, stuff. Um, 
And then he mentioned something about like America's promise being broken. Yeah. Uh, so they're definitely highlighting. They were really good points. Man. Right. I was like, I think they yeah. highlighted key facts as to what the country should be focusing on coming into the new elections and attempting to hold this administration accountable. accountable. Yeah. Like I think um, for me, there were like a couple moments where I think it stood out. One, I mean, like I said, like I don't, I think the. I think the speech was good for him, but I don't think it'll have like this like lasting kind of. Yeah, it might. Yeah, I think yeah. it like says something about where people in the where like certain people in the party are trying to go. Mm-hmm. In the sense, like I'm like here's one quote. Like you said, um, and I quote: "You bravely say me too. You steadfast say Black Lives Matter. You made through floodwaters, battled hurricanes, braved wildfires, and mudslides to save a stranger. You battle your own quiet battles every single day, which I think is important not only to like say like, hey, we're going to try to fight this, but also." Even though it's like more of like a hey, I'm saying Black Lives Matter, but you actually have to like apply that. But I think that's important to say. But I think the most important thing um, in his speech was this. He said, "As if the uh, oh, Lord, I'm reading the wrong part." He said, "We are bombarded with one false choice after another: coal miners or single moms, rural communities or inner cities, the coast or the heartland. As if the mechanic in Pittsburgh, a teacher in Tulsa, and a daycare worker in Birmingham." are bitter rivals rather than mutual casualties of a system of a forcefully rigged towards those at the top. That is like, cut that and like, yeah, put that on a memo to everybody. That's like, that's, what I was about that's to like, say. That's the perfect, definitely, that's beautifully uh, worded. that this administration, everything that they've done is benefiting that small, what, 1% right. of America. And, and trying to pit people who would have something in common right. against each other. Against each other. And it's like creating enemies. It's like the rich versus the poor who is really benefiting in America. He was, I think he, he did it. I wasn't. I mad. think it was a good job. Um, like, But you know what was kind of ironic? The Democratic Party had five different rebuttals. That was dumb. Total. That was so stupid. Uh, that was- <laughs> if you want to count them all, you had know my favorite Maxine Waters did hers on uh, Angela Rye's State of the Union on BET. Uh, they had the uh, delegate Elizabeth Guzman. Yeah. Uh, Donna Ed- Edwards. Bernie Sanders. He did his. So dumb. Which was interesting. Uh, and then, of course, Joe Kennedy himself. So lightly worded. <laughs> no, I can't even. Yeah, that's. Uh, it was cool, but I guess I want to highlight this here because it's talking about the State of the Union. In the State of the Union, he was lying about hella much. I couldn't watch the whole thing because I became very annoyed. Um, You're talking about Trump? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I became very annoyed. But doing his State of the Union, a lot of some Democrats, you know, led, it, led by again Maxine Waters. Protested and then the Congressional Black Caucus protested inside. They With were the all black yeah. and they had the Kente. Then they had uh, Reese, um, the pins that said Reese. It was for, hold on, let me pull my facts. Yeah, Reese Taylor, she was gang raped in uh, Alabama and she never got justice. Uh, so they were kind of protesting yeah. with that pin as well. But in his state of the union, he was like bragging how the stock market like it hit all. And then the joint just crashed right, like a day. Right. I'm like, that's what I found ironic because crickets. <laughs> days after him doing all of this bragging about how the, we were 80, 80.8 trillion dollars in value, some BS he probably made up. Um, the stock market dropped um, like five by the end yeah. of the day. It was 1,175 points down. Like, that's the worst it's ever been. Like In a long time. Right. Like, 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 that's the single worst drop it's been like, right. in a long time. So, that that's crazy to me that um, he's, or like the black unemployment uh, rate 
Um, our fate, one of my favorites, Kamala Harris commented on this on CNN with, I guess you want to say her rebuttal. Uh, everybody, everybody, this is our rebuttal, right? He, everybody was just coming because it it was lies, constant yeah. of things that he didn't have proof to back up, or not even proof that he had to back up. It was kind of a thing of like, okay, like you're in your first year, so a lot of the stuff that you're doing is part you, but also a lot of it has been influenced by your predecessor. Uh, who so, like, that? my president, um, the honorable. There it is. Um, so kind of like how when, when Obama first started, the stock market crashed in 2008. Right. And when he became president in 2009, the stock market was still on the decline. He was impacted by what Bush was doing. Right. So it's almost like you can't have it both ways in the sense of like, OK, let's see what happens in year two, year three, where it's like this is just you. Mm-hmm. Like your pot, like what you're doing and your direction is actually going to impact right. The slope, like you're still, you were like we were already on an upward trend. Let's see how if we can keep that upward trend going. But if it doesn't, what happens? That's on you, right? It is literally. Um, So, like you said, it's going to be interesting to see how a lot of the policies and um, acts and measures that his administrations are going through are going to play out in the next coming years. Yeah. I think we should only spend like a minute and a half on this, even though it's... All right, this is another big fact with a lowercase f. Um, <laughs> so, this week, the government had a three-hour shutdown um, due to Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. Um, he basically got up there and basically preached to whoever the hell he was trying to talk to. Um, basically, he was saying that he was frustrated with deficit spending, which has to be taken with a grain of salt because he voted for the tax bill and other stuff like that. So, basically, we had a small shutdown, and then we came to a budget agreement, which is actually kind of good on the surface. Um, it increases um, it increases spending for domestic programs, a little bit for military, too. Um, it also funds the Children's Health Insurance Program, which is important because, you know, kids need health care. Um, but, yeah, this government shutdown for three hours. I literally wanted to, like, pull up in the Capitol and, like, find Rand Paul because it was the most annoying, pretentious thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I'm upset about deficits, tax reform, tax cuts. I'm all for it. Okay. Spare me. Like, it's the kind of thing where Republicans are only concerned about deficits when it's the Democratic president in office. And both sides play that game, but it's like a lack of consistency. And the tweets about this are very funny because Rand Paul, sorry to cuss, Rand Paul got his ass beat by his neighbor um, (laughs) for a quote unquote yard, for a quote unquote um, landscaping dispute. So the tweets were very funny from um, political reporters and activists. They were like, where is Rand Paul's neighbor when we need him? There's a guy on the Senate floor who needs to get touched up a little bit. Next! That's that's (laughs) next! Uh, I mean, you set it up, bro. Like, I don't work for the government. I'm just glad I don't. Next. Next. Um, Anyway. So this is an exciting topic. So this is Henry's uh, Henry's joint. A little heads up, heads up. Here's something to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, I'm Look forward to what Keon getting bought in on, seeing all that great. Yeah, bro, we forgot to tell y'all. Happy Black History Month. What is wrong? Whoa, yeah, <laughs> black folk know our history. You you gonna say it like oh like oh, let's just <laughs> it is that's February. the problem. Yeah, that is February. the problem. Listen. Every day of this month, if you can, try to find a way to commemorate our history, whether that's you posting something that's acknowledging, like, the struggle, our accolades, like, everything. Um, that's you going to buy, like, a black hair product. That's you going to black businesses. Me, myself, I pledge to, like, try to, uh, nah, just playing. 
But nah, me myself, I pledge to one try to uh, eat at more black-owned restaurants um, this month and try to continue that throughout the 2018 year. And my second pledge is I'm gonna open up a account uh, with a black bank. So. Yeah, Henry actually posted a picture of local banks. We can actually put that um, in yeah, the link. So we can do that. So that's something that's just, that we should look out for. It's good to, even though it is the shortest month of the year, it's good to celebrate our heritage and history so this did, month, but also keep, gotta, it, keep it alive. You just got to shut it down like that. Um, but now, if you're in the D.C. area, uh, I definitely would say check out uh, Industrial Bank. And then, yeah, that that's the black owned bank DC. And I guess the heads up for the week is Black Panther drop. Woo! I got Thursday. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um I don't know. I think this is like a really big thing. Like it's like a, actually like a really big this is this is like a really big F and D. This is what was like, ironic because me and some of my line we were kinda like not conflicted, but we were kinda like, why is this such a big deal? There's this other movie. Black superhero. Somebody said Pootie Tang. I was like, see, that's what I'm saying. Shut up. Like, be quiet. Shut Blade. up. Shut uh, up. Be quiet. I think it's a big thing because one majority of the class is like cast is like black. And not not is like like it is. It, like, it's like one or two white people in there, right? So that's what's great about it. Um, I think the only thing that's missing is sorry, Marvel. I love your movies, but it wasn't produced by a black like company. It was a black director. Most of the majority of the cast was the writing black. Too. Right, the, the writing, writing was too. black. Only thing you missing is Jay-Z, Beyonce, Kendrick, and all the like that 10% of black wealth to donate to the actual production of yeah. it. That's it. I think that's a longer conversation. Right. Or not like a longer conversation, but that's like, kind of like let's just take baby steps. Right. Because <laughs> like, right. like um and I think what's important about this is that um like you expected, it came from Marvel, mm-hmm. and Marvel put money behind this. Right, it's lot. not like the kind of thing um, like where I saw what was that movie called? Uh, which Roger P. Henson? Like I saw uh, Proud Mary. Mary, no Proud Mary. Where I, I said, think yeah. you said Real Mary. <laughs> <laughs> where I think like that's a classic case of like Taraji P. Henson is a good actress, but great, phenomenal. But like, was the movie finding like was the was the producing good enough? Was the writing good enough? To put her in the best position, like I still think it was a good movie for what it was worth, but right. it's like the kind of thing of like you. This Marvel is made, and you know, hopefully they keep this up. Marvel has made the decision to say we're not just gonna like finance like no BS movie that right. has like a small budget right. that we're just kind of like the script is okay. Like if they actually put they actually put great movie. This is gonna be a great phenomenal movie. You don't understand. Yeah. Like I don't think about getting a host, and no, I just went. But for real, for real, like, I'm excited. Like, I am too. I, the only thing that's, like, I guess annoying me is because they, they're telling his whole story in one movie. I feel like they should drag it out. Do we know that for certain, though? I mean, I don't know that for certain. Them to make a, actually, we might can inspire them to make a part well, two. I'll, I'll say this, because I think... But um, that's all. Like, I think they're going to play it out because Infinity War is about to drop. Um, so you're not a Marvel fan? You just going because of Black Panther. Yes. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think I'm a comic book fan, but I think like, and I think this kind of gets into like the discussion we were having. I think like it's a it's a matter of like, okay, like they wanted to invest in this movie, but then also in the sense of like the actual 
symbolization of it. Like when you literally had the when you literally said like, oh, we have other black two here, like Pootie Tang, like be quiet. <laughs> like, stop. like I, but I think like that's important is that like growing up, like we didn't we weren't in Superman. Like that like both in, in, that's in, what's in the comics about in the comics but in like in the comics and in the movies like we had Green Lantern who was black in the comics, but in the movie he's white. And you're like, oh, what the hell? We got a guy with a ring and we can't even get him in the movie. Right. But I think like that's important because I think like as cheesy Representation matters. Yeah, like as, as cheesy as it sounds, like what stuff symbolizes matters in the sense of like we're not like okay, like yeah, like we've had like our pooty tangs, like our shafts, like our all this like kind of like black, like, oh, this is like the black like hero-esque figure. Like, I'm just trying to think of, like, in Star Wars, they had, like, Lando Calrissian and Billy Dee Williams. Like, okay, he wasn't, he was, like, human. But in the same sense of, like, I think that more movies should clearly invest in the sense of, like, our stories are no different. Exactly. Like, we're also, in the sense of, like, we represent every spectrum of, of human that's, life. That's, like, we represent, about to say, we represent highs, like we represent our, lows. Our stories, because we know our story, not history. But not even like, don't go create. I'm not saying don't do it. We can depict more than just slave stories. So or stories of like constant struggle, or, or right, stories of like right. this person grew up in this bad neighborhood right. and then they're trying to make it out. Right. Like a white person helped. And then I think this for myself, it gives you a, again, it creates a larger spectrum. It it allows you to walk into a reality or a false reality or whatever you want to realize and make. Like you actualize for yourself that black people are just amazing. Um, and if y'all didn't see, I guess this is like a heads up fact, fun fact. Um, the name of the organization that did that little CNN video, yeah, yeah, with the, with kids. the little kids, with the kids. it was yeah, so was really, cool. Was really cool. Uh, it was like the dreamers, yeah. not not the dreamers, the, not the. Uh, uh, the the Dream Defenders is the people that made a video and it was cool. They did like the little Angela ride. Yeah, they had different and, people. Yeah. That's children. Uh, and they were just highlighting how black excellent excellence is at an all-time high. And Black Panther, of course, was mentioned in there. So I want to give an applaud to like all the... Sh- yeah, no, I mean, this is... All I think, and hopefully this is like the first thing of a larger trend of like... Yeah. Let's put more, not even like put more money behind it, but like we we already know this as people. Like we're diverse people. We have many stories that need to be told. And mm-hmm. I think probably one of the best ones, especially for I'm thinking like, imagine if we saw this as kids, like right. we, we are superheroes. Right. And I think right. that that means something because like we grow up with all these like great people in our lives. But to see it on a film screen of like Superman's white, Batman's white, this person's white, 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 white. Yeah. But you have, but we are superheroes too. Like we can, we are kings, we are queens, we are doing all this stuff. And I think as cheesy as it sounds, like to see that on the screen, that matters. Right. And to have Marvel have Kendrick Lamar produce the album, and I think this is a great way to just wrap up everything. Up, you know what I'm saying? Hit the, oh, this is a heads up too. The uh, soundtrack dropped Friday. Go listen to it on iTunes, wherever. It's pretty good. iTunes, pay us for this. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. This is uh, what's going on, episode eight. See y'all next time. Yeah.